Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. My name is Jeff Benjamin. My co-host this week, Bruce Kelly, is on vacation. Uh, we can only hope that he's not uh, out there tearing up a golf course somewhere because nobody wants to see that. But uh, this week we're going to talk about liquid alternative uh, funds, ETFs and mutual funds. They're, it, uh, according to Morningstar, through May this year, the, uh, the net inflows into the category was uh, more than $21 billion, which puts the $192 billion fund category on track to surpass last year's record inflows of $38.3 billion. Uh, we have Bobby Blue, senior analyst at Morningstar, here to talk to us about that. I wrote a story about this a week ago, and uh, it, it, I thought it would be a great opportunity to get Bobby on here and, and dig into this topic a little bit more for our audience. Bobby, how you doing? Thanks for being here. Jeff, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it, uh, a, lot of, a lot of cool stuff going on in this category, and it seems like it's perfectly timed for this. Uh, what, let's start by the, the general definition. We here at Investment News, or I use it a lot, liquid alts, liquid alternatives, uh, basically registered retail class funds that uh, apply certain alternative strategies, but can you, Bobby, get in there and maybe define it a little bit better than or than that or a little bit more more specifically? Yeah, let me try and do that, Jeff. So you're right. It is a big tent. Um, and I think far too often what happens is the liquid alternative moniker is used uh, sort of at, to, to blanket the entire category when really there is a lot of nuance that's required. So at Morningstar, we like to break it into three different types of liquid alternatives. But really what you can think of is these are strategies that they're not pure equity. They're not pure fixed income. They are trying to do something different than these sort of traditional uh, equity or fixed income exposure strategies. So the three categories that we have, three broad categories, we have opportunistic strategies. So these are absolute return type strategies. They're trying to deliver returns in any market environment. These are things like global macro strategies, trend following, which has been very much in the news and has been a very strong performer year to date. Um, again, these are absolute return type strategies. So they're trying to deliver a return in any market environment. They can go long, they can go short. That sort of benefit allows them to hopefully profit in, in different market environments. And you have some other things like diversifiers. These are strategies that bring uh, alternative return premia into a strategy. And that's a lot of jargon, but essentially what that is, it's a strategy type that is non-traditional. Um, these are things like merger arbitrage, convertible arbitrage, uh, other event-driven type strategies. Um, these will have a little more market sensitivity, but ultimately they are introducing elements, different return drivers to a portfolio that you might not get in traditional equity or fixed income strategies. Most equity strategies aren't going to uh -huh. be employing merger arbitrage, which is a, a fairly niche, but you know, non-traditional part of a, a, a return stream and can deliver some real benefit to a portfolio. Lastly, you have uh, a, a cohort that includes long short equity strategies and option income strategies. And these offer a little bit more traditional exposure uh, so they're not going to provide as much diversifying benefits, but they might hedge your exposure a little bit better. So for example, a long short equity strategy that is 
call it 60% invested in the market, you know, 100% long, 40% short, you know, it's still going to have a lot of equity sensitivity. Yet broad equity market movements are still going to drive a lot of its performance patterns. Um, but it's going to be hedged a little bit by taking some of that short exposure uh, and, you know, shorting certain securities. So, you know, from that, Jeff, you could tell this is a really broad, heterogeneous peer group. Um, and even once you get into these categories, there's a ton of different approaches to these, these broad strategy types. Um, so we really emphasize this is an area where manager due diligence is of the essence. This is not someplace where you can just pick a random fund. Let's step back a little bit now and, and talk about the, the kind of the, the numbers moving, the, the assets moving into this category. What is, what is driving the, the flows uh, from your perspective? Well, it's a lot of different things. I mean, we had a six-month stretch that was one of the worst, if not the worst. I don't have the numbers in front of me for a 60-40 portfolio in history. Mm -hmm. Investors are looking for ways to profit, and they're seeing that liquid alternative strategies are delivering on some of the promises that they've made. Um, we're a little worried that some of this is performance chasing, you know, crowding into some of the, the top winners. Um, that might not be able to replicate sort of the, the Goldilocks period of the past six months. Um, but at the same time, we're hopeful that uh, the past six months are a good sort of case study on how these strategies can add value to a portfolio. They can you know, improve the risk adjuster returns of a portfolio. They can mm -hmm. offer you know, a, a, a green, you know, sort of a, a green line item when the rest of your portfolio is red, which you know, behaviorally can, can do a lot, uh, particularly for a financial advisor showing their clients their statements. Um, so I, I think that you know, their strong performance is certainly driving a lot of that. Um, believe it or not, we are seeing some fee reduction in the industry. I think that's helping a little bit. It's still a pricey cohort. Uh, I do right. want to emphasize that, but you are seeing some bigger players in the space start to lower fees um, with broader fee pressures within the industry. So we're hopeful that as assets continue to flow in, that asset managers will pass some of those economies of scales on to be determined. It, obviously fees, when it comes to a lot of these strategies or, or any any mutual fund or ETF, they tend to be tend to be economies of scale issues and the larger the funds sometimes they're the more they have the ability to lower fees um, the liquid alt space in my experience over the years has been kind of an low pl place where um, a lot of advisors and investors will move into this area when uh, sometimes too late but often when when things are at their worst and hoping for the best which is kind of what they're getting right now with some of the performance but what about the fees? I mean, it's always been, not always, well, I guess historically it's been, you, you looked at, you were really paying some fees for these things because they're not, you're not even a fraction of what we're talking about with hedge fund fees or private equity funds or something like that. But these are alternatives and they do command more fees. Is it, uh, you said it's generally coming down, but are, are they are they still head and shoulders above what you might get with a regular actively managed or even an index fund? Oh yeah, I mean, compare it to an index fund where you can get you know, equity fixed income exposure for under 10 basis points. That's unheard of in the liquid alts universe. Um, you know, these are active strategies. They're employing uh, significant staffs. They are you know, using 
relatively sophisticated financial instruments, there is a price that you're paying to access these strategies. And, you know, if the exposure is right, that's okay. What we really caution against is paying for closet equity exposure, closet fixed income exposure. If you're going to pay up for a liquid alternative strategy, you really want to make sure that it's bringing something different to your portfolio. You do not want the majority of your investment, your liquid alternative manager's performance to be driven by the ebbs and flows of the equity market or uh, the Fed's rate decision. You really want these to be uh, unique alternative return streams. Um, and these are, those aren't always worth paying up for. You know, uh, you need to look at what the, the volatility profile is, look what the return profile of these strategies are. Um, but there are some quality strategies out there that are priced higher than a traditional equity or fixed income strategy that are worth the price tag. Um, I will emphasize always, fees are always important, um, but they aren't, you shouldn't totally discount a strategy because of a high price tag. You, uh, you mentioned you want to avoid um, kind of closet indexing or closet, you know, traditional investing uh, funds that are kind of labeled liquid alt or labeled alternative or promising some kind of alternative exposure or hedge. But what what is the what's the best way to do the due diligence on that to make sure you're not getting just a traditional long only strategy that has the ability to do alternative things, but might not be doing it? Well, it's a good question and it takes a lot of work. So as I'll emphasize a lot in this conversation, you really need to do your due diligence in this space. You need to understand the types of strategies the manager is employing. Um, you know, you can do that just by having a conversation with the, the product team, with the management team, understanding the types of strategies they're employing. You know, a lot of times when you get into the multi-strategy space, you might have some strategies within those those multi-strats that do have some some long-only equity exposure, long-only credit exposure. Um, you know, there's some performance data that you can look through uh, that might indicate overly reliant sensitivity to equity markets. If a strategy has a high equity beta, high fixed income beta, um, that's worth digging into, really understanding what's driving that sensitivity to those markets. Because it could be one-off events, you know. There are macro strategies that can lean into long-only equity when they feel the time is right, but are they able to then pivot out of those when uh, it's not as an attractive trade? Um, so it, it's, it's a complex process. It takes time, um, but generally there are resources. Um, I think some of that, that, that backwards-looking performance data can tip you off where, where managers are deriving a lot of their performance from. Are there any particular red flags you can think of that you would suggest people look for if they're doing due diligence? Yeah, I think that's one of the bigger ones that we just talked about. Um, because many investors are going to be slotting these liquid alternatives into a diversifying part of their portfolio, you do not want that to uh, just be more equity exposure or more fixed income exposure. If you're being purposeful about what you're carving out and you want that to be maybe not necessarily a hedge, maybe not necessarily a, a, a negatively correlated asset, but you know something that offers the potential to diversify away from equity and fixed income, you don't want equity and fixed income in that bucket. Um, so I, I think that's 
been a problem that's plagued the, the liquid alternative space for a number of years. I think the decade plus long bull market um, pushed a lot of these managers into some of these, into becoming you know more more beta sensitive, equity sensitive, fixed income sensitive than um, they might have wanted to. Um, but you know, for a long time, that's where the assets went, and I think that you know there there were some managers that might have altered their approach to capture some of that 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 flow. Where do you see? liquid alts, and I know I'm right now I'm guilty of using the broad generic category, but where do you see liquid alts fitting into a diversified portfolio? Does it, you take a piece from equity, you take a piece from fixed income, is 5% enough to have an impact on a diversified portfolio? 10%? Yeah, Jeff, that's a good question. And that's one that we get a lot. The number one thing I want to emphasize is investors do not need liquid alternatives. So if these are products that you don't want to spend the time doing the diligence on. Uh, you don't want to do the deep dive on. Buy and hold investing in stocks and bonds works totally fine for a lot of investors. If you do want to improve the risk-adjusted outcomes in your portfolio and are interested in these strategies and want to dive deeper, um, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. Uh, you, know, you can opt for a strategy that might have a little more volatility, and you can slot that into your equity allocation or carve a little bit out of your equity allocation. If you're a more conservative investor and want sort of a, a fixed income proxy with a little less correlation to the broader fixed income market, you can fund it from your fixed income sleeve. So it's totally dependent on your own risk objectives and you know, sort of the, the volatility that you can stomach. So I, I think that is one thing I really want to emphasize throughout this conversation is this is a heterogeneous group. There are a number of different uses for these strategies. And ultimately, it's up to the investor's risk tolerance where they want to invest. I love that point that you emphasize that investors do not need these in their portfolio. Um, yeah. That's a great point to make. You, you talked about, you mentioned performance chasing, maybe a little bit of performance chasing. Um, I'm just going to give our audience an example of what, what uh, Bobby's talking about here. I had Morningstar run a screen of the 10 best performing liquid alt funds uh, in the, over the first half of 2022. And the worst, the number 10, was up 26%. Uh, and the, the best performing was up 50%, slightly over 50%. And you can find that, that list on our website, investmentnews.com. But, um, I mean, what was interesting to me, Bobby, from our conversations that we've had about this is that you suggested that even with the strong run-up, and again, I'm only talking about the top 10 here, but it's, it's been a pretty strong run-up across the category. Um, you said it's not too late to allocate to this space at this point in the cycle. A lot of times, uh, investors, hopefully not professional financial advisors, but retail class investors are kind of known for, you know, like you said, performance chasing, getting in at the, at the, at the worst possible time when something's all the way at the at the top or ready to just take a nosedive or um, what talk to us about that. What, why is there still room left in this, in this category? Yeah, well, it helps to think about what these strategies are actually doing. So this isn't an equity fund where the names in the equity portfolio, once they've run up 20%, all of a sudden they're fully valued and you know, there's no juice left in that strategy. Take 
systematic trend followers, for example. These strategies can go long, they can go short, they can stay flat. So there's no max return that these strategies can offer. There's no sort of cap to uh, you know, how much they could return. There's no sort of, you, you can't squeeze all the juice out of this strategy. It can flip to go long, it can flip to go short. So the fact that these aren't traditional strategies that can be fully valued, they're sort of pursuing alternative drivers of returns that uh, it's more difficult to be fully valued. Um, that makes it a strategy type that uh, can be allocated to even after a period like we just had. Now, again, I will say, like I said earlier, the first half of 22 was a Goldilocks environment for a lot of trend strategies. There were huge commodity trends. The equity markets flipped into good trends towards the latter part of the, the, the half. Um, and the fixed income market also provided really good trends. Um, it will be difficult to replicate an environment like that in the future. But that's not to say that it can't happen. So we still think that there's potential for these strategies. but. As I emphasized to you, Jeff, when we talked last, investors really need to understand why they're allocating to it. They shouldn't just be buying now because they had a good half of the year and the rest of their investments are doing poorly. They need to understand what these strategies can do and the pain that they can inflict in, in normal periods. I mean, in the 2010s, trend followers had a terrible time. I don't know the exact return numbers, but um, it was not a fun position to have in your portfolio. Um, so that opportunity cost can be challenging to bear when the rest of your portfolio is doing really well. Okay, Bobby, we started this conversation with, with me talking about the, the potentially record level flows into the, this broad category this year. Um, so I want to kind of wrap it up by asking, is, are these sort of year rounds or all time strategies? Um, we know that a lot of money is, is moving in and performance is strong and there's all kinds of cases you can make for diversifying into liquid alternative if you're so inclined to do the due diligence. But when the, when the market turns, the equity markets turn around and we know they will, um, do, you, do you dump these things out of your portfolio or do you reduce your exposure or you just say this is, this is part of the, the diversification and you, you got to take the, the good with the bad. Yeah, it, it's the latter, Jeff. The, you know, these are not things that you want to time. Um, these are strategy types that uh, even professional investors uh, it, it really struggle to pinpoint when the exact environment to allocate to these strategies is. There can be periods where it's more favorable. Periods of excess volatility are going to benefit a lot of these strategy types, but in general, you really need to carve out a spot in your portfolio. Again, we're not recommending the exact size, but size it, rebalance into it when it's doing poorly, rebalance out of it when it does really well. That's how these strategies need to be handled. They need to be a consistent spot in your portfolio if you decide to allocate to them. And it's not something that you want to get in and out of because that is when you start to see really poor investment returns and it ultimately uh, sullies the, the, the category a bit because people are, are burned on the way in and then burned on the way out. So 
the more education that we can provide and uh, you and your team can provide around the the, the smart and responsible way to use these strategies, the better. Um, but certainly, we would advocate against tactically timing an investment like this. Okay. And uh, I would re be remiss if I didn't give Bobby credit for uh, calling in today from you're on vacation, right? Yeah, I'm in the middle of the woods right now. Uh, <laughs> going, doing a little rafting this weekend and very be a good time. Middle of West Virginia. So oh, well, luckily to find some Wi-Fi. Good for you and really appreciate you. You helping us out today? Any uh, any final thoughts before we let you go back uh, back to the back to the raft? <laughs> no, none for me, Jeff. I think again, I would just emphasize this is not an investment strategy that everyone needs to have in their portfolio. Buy and hold investing works very well for the vast majority of investors. For those that do want to explore this area, we've done a lot of great research and. A lot of that's freely available. We're happy to speak to, to anyone about this. Um, and I think that they can provide a benefit to a portfolio if investors so choose. But again, not something that is required in everyone's portfolio. On that note, uh, Bobby Blue, Senior Analyst at Morningstar, talking to us about liquid alternative investments. What's, uh, what's good, what's bad, and uh, I don't know, uh, I guess, when you need to be there, right? Thank you very much, sir. Thanks a bunch for having me, Jeff. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I want to thank our producer, Angelica Hester. I want to wish Bruce a, uh, an excellent vacation. And uh, I want to tell you we'll be back here next week, as always. Find us on Mondays on investmentnews.com. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, at, I'm at Benji Ryder, and my co-host Bruce Kelly is at BD News Guy. So we'll see you next week.